how many of you like to break things? Well, in today's message, we're going to break something. We're going to break the spirit of mammon in our life. Join us and our lead pastor, Brian Lane, as we look at what a truly blessed life looks like in part four of our series, The Blessed Life. And so you were hoping to listen to last week's message on our podcast. Well, we had a tragedy of events in that it did not get recorded last week. And so if you weren't here last week, you don't get to hear last week's message. I'm sorry. But hey, you miss a service, you miss a lot. It's your fault, okay? I'm just uh, putting that out there. All right. But this morning, we're continuing our series, our message series called... (laughs) Sorry, Desiree. Um, (laughs) um, We're continuing our series called The Blessed Life, where we're looking at what we need. And and I like things straight, and this wasn't centered, and so I got to center this before I can continue. Is anybody else like that? You got to... Okay. There's a few of you. All right. Good. Um... And so we're looking at what it takes to live a blessed life, and this is based on a book uh, by Robert Morris, Um, and I just want to start with a review of where we're at two weeks ago. And and a couple of weeks ago, what we looked at was the principle of the first, and uh, what this principle was, um, it's found in the book of Exodus, and it was the first instruction that God had given um, the nation of Israel when they came out of slavery and started to head towards the promised land. They hadn't even gotten to the promised land yet, they were just on their journey, on their way to the promised land, and what, what God told them was, is when they were in the wilderness, it was the first thing that they needed to do, was they needed to go through their flocks, and they needed to, one, sacrifice the first of every animal that was born, okay, and then they had to redeem the first animal of the unclean ones that were born, and so, so they had this thing where they had to go and do all of this stuff. This was the first instruction, and when we kind of thought through it, we said to ourselves, man, that really doesn't make sense. Why would God, the first thing that he tells them to do, do when they come out of slavery is sacrifice animals. And the reason was is because of this principle of the first. You know, something had to happen first. God believes in sacrifice first. And so he called them to do this work of sacrificing the animals in order to start this journey to the promised land. And when we transferred this principle to following Jesus, what we saw was that Jesus, he was the firstborn of the clean in that he had no sin. And so he had to be sacrificed just like a lamb who was born at that time. But he was more than that. He was also the clean that was sacrificed for the unclean so that we, the unclean, could be redeemed. See, God practices this principle of the first in all areas of his kingdom and his life. And so he's given it to us and has made it an important principle for us to practice in our lives, making sure that we are practicing the things of the first. And it's about sacrificing the first, the first of our time, the first of our talents, the first of our treasure. Why does God want the first? Because in order to live out the principle of the first, we have to live on faith. It's faith because we give to God first, then worry about ourselves after. We have faith that God is going to provide for our bills, that God is going to provide for our time, that God can do more for us with 90% of everything than we can do with 100% by ourselves. If we do not live out the principle of the first, we end up in the same spot as Cain was at in Genesis chapter 4, where God looks, our, looks at our offering and goes, eh, you know, whatever, that's, that's not that great of an offering, because uh, the first fruits have to be offered. God does not change, and because he does not change, he cannot think like us and make exceptions to the rule that he is first. Even if we don't think he is first, even if we look at our lives and say, well, God is not first in my life, that doesn't change the fact that God is still first. 
In Genesis chapter 4, the reason that God could not accept Cain's offering was because God is always first, but Cain decided he was going to put himself first instead. When God is first in our life is when he is able to give us the blessed life we are looking for. And so then we closed out the message by looking at a text a little bit later in uh, Exodus chapter 13. And it's kind of the reason why God said, sacrifice first. And it was this. It was because one day your children were going to come to you and they were going to say to you, why are you sacrificing that animal? Why are you giving this first animal to God? And it was going to be an opportunity for the parent to tell their child about an event that the child had never encountered. It was them coming out of slavery in Egypt and being led to freedom in Israel. And so it was going to be an opportunity for the parents to share with their kids what God had done in their life. And what we found out was this. That's us in that story. See, we were all in slavery And then one day Jesus came and set us free and led us out of slavery. And because he has set us free and he has led us out in giving to God, we're a witness to our kids and to our families of the transformation and change that Jesus has made in us and our life. And so let's move on to this week. And so I want to talk about breaking things. Who likes to break things in here? Anybody like to break things? All right, we got, a, we got a couple of breakers in there. You know, in that song that we were singing when we sung the words, break down the walls, I'm just thinking, yeah, let's break down some walls, man. Because how many of you, if you go to a, somebody's house or go to a, uh, like a construction site and they say, hey, we need to take this wall out. How many of you are like, all right, that's me, I'm in. Let's do this. Let's take this wall down. Yeah, I think a few, I would love, I love tearing the stuff down. I love breaking stuff, man. When you, those, those remodel shows where they pull out the sledgehammer and they just go into things and start smashing stuff with stre- sledgehammers, I'm all about breaking stuff, okay? Some of you, um, maybe, maybe you don't like to break things like that in here, like knocking down the walls, but maybe you go to one of those country fairs, and have you ever been to one of those fairs where they put this old beat-up car out there, and they ask you for 10 bucks, and you can hit it with a sledgehammer after you give them 10 bucks? Has anybody ever done that? Just take the hammer and, ah, and, and hammer away at the car? Yeah, some people like to do that. Others of you, you like to break your phone on a regular basis. Who likes to break their phone all the time? Like you find new and creative ways to break your phone. Like last month you were near the edge of a volcano and it somehow slipped out of your pocket and fell into the hot lava, right? You got just new ways to break your phone. Maybe like us, you're always breaking computers in your house. Uh, Well, this morning we are going to look at breaking something. And uh, so if you're into breaking things, this is for you. And we are going to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon this morning. And I probably already lost some of you with those words because you have no idea what mammon is and why it needs to be broken. And so in order to start this discussion, we are going to move to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus is speaking about an unrighteous steward, and then we're going to begin to talk about this thing called mammon. Uh, Before we read the text, I'm just going to give you a fun fact about this word mammon. Uh, This word mammon is used four times in the whole Bible. The only person who uses it is Jesus. None of the other writers of the New Testament or Old Testament use this word mammon. And uh, there's a specific uh, meaning behind this word more than what you will find in the text. And this morning, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Bible simply because the translation that the NIV and others have, it's getting the 
word translation right, but it's missing the spirit behind what Jesus was saying when he said these words. And so um, Luke um, uh, chapter 16, um, it's the third book in the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. If you're unable to find it, it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, and, uh, And this is what it says. It says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to, you true, uh, commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so let's start with that question. What is mammon? As I said, the NIV translates it uh, worldly riches, um, and the reason I use the King James is because uh, of how it um, it doesn't change the word from mammon to worldly riches because when this word was spoken in that time, they understood this to mean much more than worldly wealth. Um, when they said this, when Jesus said this word mammon, they knew that that was speaking of a god. In that place, in that time, in that area of the world, there was a god who was named Mammon. Okay, and this God came out of the Syrian area. Um, you guys are familiar with Syria. It's where um, that uh, civil war is being fought right now. But, but this is where this God originated from, was out of Syria. And this God's name was Mammon. And here's what this God promised them. He told people that if you served me, Mammon, as your God, that I will make sure that your life is taken care of. You would not need any other help in life. You could live life on your own terms because you would have the riches, the finances, and the money that you need. See, it's an arrogant, prideful spirit that tries to replace God as our source and provider. And Jesus is quite clear on mammon. He says that if we are serving mammon, we cannot serve God. Now, here's the scary part about what Jesus says, though. Mammon is going around looking for servants. Mammon's plot, plan, and desire is to rule your life. Mammon wants you to look at it for your security in life rather than looking to God. And see, in the American church, we have obliged him But a much bigger issue in regards to mammon in the American church is for the most part, people in the church don't even realize how much we serve mammon in our lives. So the question becomes, which one do we serve? Which one are we loyal to? And for some of us, that answer is quite clear. And I'm going to throw a theology under the bus this morning, and that's the prosperity gospel. A lot of you have heard of this prosperity gospel that says, you know what, if you give to God, then you're going to get back. Give to get, give to get, give to God more and he'll give you more. Give, get, give, get, give, get. This prosperity gospel is this spirit of mammon right here because why do people want to give to God in that situation and in that picture? Because they want to get in return, right? They're hoping that if they give God 600 rather than 200, God's going to give them more money, and so they'll have more money in their lives, in their banks, and in their pocketbook. 
It's a teaching where you become loyal to a message rather than the God behind the message. And it's quite easy to prove that this is the case because what happens to somebody when they believe that they're giving to God and so therefore God, they're going to get back from God when suddenly something financially happens in their lives and they hit a spot where things don't quite work out the way the prosperity gospel says it is. Suddenly they'll throw God under the bus, right? They'll say to themselves, oh, yeah, I see how it is. God, I'm hooking you up all the time, but you can't hook a brother up when I get in trouble. And suddenly we're done with God. We're angry at God. We're mad at God. The message leaves us greedy, entitled, and ultimately mad at God if anything goes wrong. That right there is the spirit of mammon. For many of us, though, the voice of mammon is much more subtle than that. The voice of mammon says, you deserve bigger and better. You deserve that nicer car. You deserve that better furniture. You deserve the tile or wood instead of carpet in your house. It's the voice that says, you need to spend what you have on you, making sure everyone knows that you have. And for many of us, we'll listen to that voice because those things a nice house, a nice car, furniture, other things. They give us our identity, our security, our significance, our happiness, and our joy. That right there is the spirit of mammon. Because it's promising the only thing that God, only God can give to us. Mammon can never deliver on its promise, and mammon ultimately wants to rule us. And in reality, mammon is the spirit of Antichrist. How do I know that? Well, if we were to go to the book of Revelation, those of you that are familiar with the book of Revelation, why does it say that people take the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation? Because they need to buy and sell, right? That's why people will take the mark of the beast in Revelation. I've got to provide for my family. I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to make sure my car and my house are paid for. It puts us in a place where we live in fear of not being able to provide for our families. And when we live in fear, it opens the door for mammon to take control. All throughout our lives, mammon is doing whatever it can to try and get in and get us to bow to it, worship, and serve it. We need to say no to its bondage. We need to say no to its grips, and we need to turn to the only one that can provide all that we need. All right, the second question then from this text that we are looking at that I see comes from the first question, and it's this. Since mammon is a spirit that wants us to serve it, and Jesus calls mammon unrighteous, doesn't that mean money is evil? So let's dig into that. What is money? We all know what money is, right? We got this right here. That's my... $10 bill, that's my allowance for the week right here in my wallet. All right, others of us, well, it doesn't look like that. Some of us that are under 25, this is all you know for, uh, for money, right? You've never seen one of these things before. You're like, what is that? You know, like I, I asked my daughter the other day, I said, can you grab your checkbook? And she goes, what checkbook? Because I, I needed a routing number for something. And it's just so funny that, you know, when, when I grew up, everybody had a checkbook. And now nobody has a checkbook. I write... The, my, check, my checkbook has 25 checks in it, and I looked at it. The first check in the book was written in February of last year, and I still have checks left in it. 
um, because you just don't write checks anymore. But anyways, that's what we think of. That's, that's money, right? That's, that's money. Um, it's the numbers in our bank account. It's the cash in our wallet. But that is not what mammon is. See, mammon is a spirit and it talks. And it's quite easy to prove that mammon talks because if we were to take and uh, take our wallet out and take money out and an offering bucket were to go by, how many of you have ever heard a voice say to you, wait a minute, don't put that in there, okay? How many of you have ever, when you've gone online and you went to put in your your account number uh, stuff to give online, have heard a voice say, hold on, slow down a little bit there. You're getting a little bit too excited there. Maybe you want to give half of that. How many have heard that? I've heard that. I've had those voices before say, no, I don't know. Hey, listen, that's not a good plan. Stop, slow down, don't do that. See, mammon can speak to us. And I've been battling that voice for this last week as I've been struggling with something I, thought God, something I think God is saying to us in regards to us and our giving. It's a spirit that rests on money. And so going back to two weeks ago, part of the way that we break the spirit on our money is through the principle of the first. When we give of the first, it's a redemptive portion. It redeems the rest and helps to break the hold of the spirit of mammon on us. So going back to the question, is money evil? No, it's not. But doesn't the Bible say that the money is the root of all evil? No, that's not what the Bible says. It says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, in other words, loving and serving mammon is the root of all kinds of evil. And this has caused major misunderstanding in the church all throughout the history of it, thinking that in order to be living a good Christian life, you had to be dirt poor. It doesn't say that in there, okay? Nowhere does it say that there's nothing evil, there's nothing wrong with money, having money, that sort of thing. See, the problem comes when we allow a spirit of mammon to speak to us and control us and tell us how and where and when and what rather than the voice of God. I mean, just think about things that have been, that are driven by money though and the voices that speak out there. um, When I was in high school, um, and I still kind of am, I was fascinated by a guy named Pablo Escobar. Dana laughs at me all the time because of this, but the guy, I just found this guy so fascinating. And if you don't know who he is, he was the head of the the Medellin cartel in in, uh, Colombia back in the the, the 80s and uh, early 90s. And, And this is what was so interesting about this is that he was a cocaine dealer But he made the Forbes list of 10 richest men in the world seven years in a row. Think about that. Wrap your brain around that, okay? A cocaine dealer, they know how much money the man has, and he makes the list of the 10 richest men in the world. And so let's forget about this whole thing that he made money selling coke, okay? So get that out of your head. Okay, so here he is. He's rich. This is how the spirit of mammon works. He wants to hold on to his money. He's starting to get pressure from the United States on the Colombian government to arrest him and put him in jail. And so what happens is this man, in order to hold on to the money that he has, he literally declares war on the government of Colombia. He killed 3,000 police officers. He blew up airplanes. He blew up buildings. He literally invaded the... uh, the, the, the Supreme Court of Colombia burned an entire office filled with the records of his illegal dealings, scorched them all, and still got away. This guy almost single-handedly brought down the Colombian government 
because he wanted to hold on to the money that he had. That is how it works. Wherever there's money, it brings evil. The money itself is not evil, but the spirit there that's sitting there of mammon can bring evil into the situation. And we know this. There's corruption everywhere. There's corruption in government. There's corruption in businesses. There's corruption in churches. There's corruption in schools. Wherever there's money, there's corruption. Have you ever been around a family when a family member has died and there's something left over for people to inherit? For the love of Jesus, I'm just like, what has happened to these people? All of a sudden, to get an extra 10 bucks, they're willing to kill half the family. Seriously. I mean, we watched this up close and personal with Dana's family recently when somebody died. It was craziness. I, we, we couldn't believe it. We're just like, all right, whatever. You guys all go crazy and be crazy, all right? Um, but but that's, that's, what, that's what it means when it says the money is, money is the root of all kinds of evil, okay? Money has this power and force that can do things and cause people to be incredibly evil. So, all right, let's continue on here. I want to reread uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 9, because there's some misunderstanding when it comes to this verse. It says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, so that when you fail, they may, may receive you into an everlasting home. Here's the deal. Most people, when they hear this verse, assume that mammon is just money and that there's not a spirit attached to it. And they continue their assumption, uh, to, and they take this verse to say that you are u- to use your money to make friends with people and do for them, so that when you are in trouble, they will do something for you. But that's not what Jesus Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is actually telling us here is to redeem our money by using it to build the kingdom of God. You're saying, okay, well, where do you see that? Well, here's the deal. As you use your unrighteous mammon, uh, because Jesus added the word unrighteous to the front of mammon, he's changing the focus from the spirit now to the worldly wealth. Um, But he's saying when you use uh, unrighteous mammon to build the kingdom of God, here's what's going to happen. People are going to be reached. People are going to find out who Jesus is because of what you gave. And then when you fail, it says, the literal translation is leave. Then when you leave, where do we leave? When we leave, where do we leave? We leave this earth, right? That's the ultimate place we're going to leave. So what he's saying here is when you die, these people that you connected to Christ will welcome you into your eternal home, which is heaven. In other words, there's going to be people in heaven who are going to welcome you and thank you. Why? Because your giving is what allowed them to be there in the first place. You see, everything that we do, our whole life, is about sharing the gospel and making a difference and making an impact. And so the final question that comes out of these verses is this. What should I do with my time, my talent, and my money? The answer is this. Be good stewards of what you have. But I don't have much of anything but especially of this unrighteous mammon, and so this message isn't for me. Well, if God would give me more, I'd gladly apply this, but right now, this isn't necessary. If you are in that realm of thinking, you will never have more of anything than you have right now. See, verse 10 tells us that if we are faithful with little, then we will see more. However, if we are not faithful with the little that we have been given, we're not going to see that increase. Why? Because Jesus can't trust us. But this is really how life works, right? At our first job, did you walk in the door? They hand the keys of the business to you and say, go ahead, do whatever you want, knock yourself out. We completely trust you to know what you're doing in regards to this business. 
No, that didn't happen, right? You came in there, you did your job, you had to prove yourself faithful, and then they would give you more, and then they would give you more, and then they would give you more. It was like the first job I had, I was a dishwasher, well, my first job was at Burger King, but I was only there for like two months. And so, anyways, we'll, we'll forget that one. But my first job, real job was a dishwasher at Perkins. And so I got in there and I became a dishwasher. As I proved myself faithful in washing dishes, then I became a cook. As I proved myself faithful in being a cook, I became an assistant manager. Okay, and so as I proved myself, they gave me more and more and more. But yet there were some people in that same time that came in as dishwashers, and guess what they were still doing when I was an assistant manager? They were still dishwashers. Why? Because they proved themselves to be unfaithful, and since they couldn't handle washing dishes, the manager of that place was not going to promote them to a new position and put them in a new place in the company. That's how it works. This is how God runs things. Most of us start off with little, and as we prove ourselves faithful, he gives us more. We don't give our lives to Jesus, and the next week he says, okay, you're preaching this Sunday, okay? Um, Jesus takes us through a process where he gives us a little to see what we're going to do with it. Then once we're good with the little, he adds a little more and adds a little more and adds a little more. And why have some people gotten to a higher level than us? It could be because we are still working on this amount that we have right over here, but they have successfully stewarded this amount, whatever it is, time, talent, treasure. They've successfully stewarded, and God says, okay, now that you've successfully stewarded that over there, I can give you this over here and trust you with that. You know, I, I've, I've, uh, I've sometimes am frustrated because I wish that I would have, gone, would have gone into ministry 10 years before I did. I feel like I wasted years that I could have helped in making a difference. But you know what? If I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been ready because I wasn't faithful with what I had. I wasn't faithful in the small things. It took years of learning to be faithful in the small things before God was ready to promote me. Um, I was also true with my finances, you know, all I knew, I was telling them this morning in our uh, connecting point class, all I knew of the church before uh, I became a Christian was Jim and Tammy Baker, and those of you who were around in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. They just embezzled money, they did all kinds of shady stuff, and they were all over the news, right? And, uh, and that's, where, that's all I knew of the church. For the first six months, I wouldn't even go to a church when I was a Christian because I assumed all churches were scheming, conniving, and crazy, okay? And so these are the kind of people God puts in charge of churches, just so you know that. Um, but yeah, that's what I thought. And so I didn't even want to be involved in a church. And so God couldn't have used me at that point anyway. This is true with our talents. It's true with our abilities. It's true with our finances. And that if we are not faithful with what we have, we're not going to be asked to manage more. And with our finances, verse 12 comes into play. Don't worry, we're going to come back to verse 11 in a minute. Jesus tells us, if you've not been faithful well, with, with what belongs to someone else, you're not going to get what was yours, what is yours. And so if you remember back to message two, we talked about this, uh, how everything ultimately belongs to God, but that the tithe, the first, belongs to God. It's holy, and if we take it, we are stealing from God. So if you take what belongs to God and use it for yourself, why would he give you more? I want to emphasize a point here, and this is not... Um, uh, give to get once again. It's not give more money to get more money from God. It's give what you have and God will give, um, it's give what you have and God will give you more. If God entrusts more resources to you, he's going to expect more out of you, plain and simple. We have to understand that. What you've got 
God is saying, look, you have to do more with what you have. That's God's policy. That's who he is. That's what he believes. He will give you more so that you can use more to advance his kingdom. And so if you could, if you guys could just play um, a song. Let's move back to verse 11 and talk about what true riches are. And it's really easy. The verse talks about true riches and what true riches are is they are people. If you look around this room, you are looking at the only thing that's going to last forever. Everything else is going to pass away. Everything else is going to be destroyed. This room, those chairs, that house, the car, everything that we have is going to pass away except for the souls of the men and women who live. The point that Jesus is making here is that heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered by those who give of their time, of their talents, and of their treasure. That's why giving is a spiritual act. As we give to God and his kingdom, people are being reached for the gospel. Now, that's not the only thing we need to do. We need to go and actually tell people about Jesus. But I think what you will find is that those who are generous with their finances, they're generous with their time, and they are generous with their talents are the same people who are passionate about God and the things that will last for all eternity, the souls of men and women. And so the question is, where are we at individually? Where are you at in your life? Are you at a place where mammon is speaking into you and you are listening to the voice of mammon rather than the voice of God. Because if you're in that place, you're never going to get to the next level in your spiritual walk unless you are ready to say to mammon, you know what, it's time to go, it's time for me to be free, and it's time for me to do what you want me to do, God. There's some in here that you maybe you, you are givers and you give financially, but you don't give of your time. You don't give of your talent. God wants to break that off of your life, and he wants to use your time and your talent as well to advance the kingdom of God. There's others in here that you'll give of your time and your talents, but you won't give of your finances. And God is saying, look, in order to break that off of your life, you've got to do this other thing as well. You're never going to get to the next level in any area of giving until you've got all three areas of giving lined up and moving forward. That's the only way we're going to break this spirit off of our lives. And you know what? People say to me all the time, or not all the time, but on a semi-regular basis, okay? Why are big churches always getting bigger? Here's part of what I've found about big churches. As a general rule, now this isn't true for every big church, but as a general rule, it's this. One, the people sitting in the room are passionate. They're passionate about God, they're passionate about advancing God's kingdom, and they're generous people with their time, their talents, and their treasure. 
The people that make up the church are passionate. They want people to know Jesus. They're inviting people to church. They're, they're out there on the front lines. They're, they're giving of their time and their talents and their resources so that God can do something even bigger through their church. And what they found is that uh, people are slowly migrating to the bigger churches because they'd rather be in a place where people are passionate and generous than in a place where people are just there for Sunday morning to get, some, to get a message and then leave. People want to know that we're passionate. The world wants to know that we're passionate about the kingdom of God and advancing his kingdom. See, we can make a difference as passionate people. We can't make a difference just showing up here on a Sunday morning and walking out the doors and letting that be the end of it. And so let's everyone could bow their heads, close their eyes. We're going to close in a word of prayer this morning. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.